This is the Inside Slant Football Podcast. And here we go, here we go! Brought to you by JayhawkSlant.com. Broadcasting around the world. Around the world. We have the latest on KU recruiting, analysis, and what the coaches and players are saying behind the scenes. Here are your hosts, Randy Withers and John Kirby. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Randy Withers. Welcome into another edition of the Inside Slant podcast from jayhawkslant.com. And folks, do we have a show lined up for you? It is another edition of the pregame Inside Slant. We're going to get you ready for UCF, but maybe bigger than that. KU Athletic Director Travis Goff joins us and we'll talk about several topics from his recent letter that he sent to KU fans. Uh, as well as discuss NIL and the overall shape of the University of Kansas Athletics Department. Really, really looking forward to having Travis on the show. We will also talk to Brandon Helwig from UCF Sports on the Rivals Network to preview the matchup with Central Florida on Saturday. Oh yeah, we just happen to have another Big 12 game coming up. We'll look back at the Texas game talk about everything that happened in Austin, and then we're going to dive into this matchup with UCF. Kirby and I are going to give our predictions like always, and then we'll give you a little update from the recruiting trail before we bounce. With late night coming up this Friday, it we would be remiss if we did not mention late night in the fog. With, the fog, with late night coming up this Friday, we'll have Shay back in with us next week to recap everything that goes on in Allen Fieldhouse and give us an update on all the recruiting news after this week's big event. Now let's dive right into Kansas Jayhawks football. Let me bring in my man on the Kansas football beat and the publisher of JayhawkSlant.com, my good buddy John Kirby. John, how you doing? Randy, I'm doing well. I just... Um, I just got on and noticed the weather for Saturday. I had no idea. You know, I've been I've been walking around here in shorts. I mean, you know, it's like 90, 85 degrees in early October. Yeah. And I just saw that it's supposed to be like 59 and sunny on Saturday. So I'm like, Ooh. man, I know. I, heck, you know what? Usually I'm a weather guy and I pay attention to that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just slipped my mind. I think it's just been so warm. That I just spaced it off, but I just got on and noticed the they're calling for 59 and Sunday for the high, and I'm going, man, I still wear you know I'll wear a polo and some nice shorts to the game, you know, sit up in the press box. I go, God, I might have to break back out the slacks or some some khakis or something. <laughs> it's gonna be finally start to feel like fall. I'm super excited about that, and. You know, I mean, this it, the timing's perfect. It's going to be a nice fall day, a great Saturday afternoon to re- to welcome UCF to Lawrence to Memorial Stadium. Speaking of this matchup with UCF, I know everybody saw the email from KU Athletics Director Travis Goff. Let's get this thing started in the best way possible. We're going to bring Travis on right now. John had a chance to talk with him just a little bit ago, and... We want you to hear what the man in charge had to say. Welcome to the Inside Slant podcast, and we have a great guest. I'm sure one everybody is looking forward to hearing from Kansas Athletic Director Travis Goff is joining us. Travis, how are you doing today? 
Great, John. Good to be with you. Thanks for uh, coming over to the office. Always good to spend some time with you. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I want to start off just talking about, you know, you sent a letter out last week to the donors, the fans, alums, and, you know, just basically that in my take, you know, football is building and you guys are backing it as an administration. And, you know, just talk about the letter that you sent out and how you were telling everybody it's just it's time to get on board and show support yeah you know i think it's important to emphasize that there's two two intentions with the letter one uh was to thank our incredible supporters our fans who have stepped up obviously we have such an incredible group of of diehards who've been thick and thin sitting through pretty tough uh stretches certainly many a tough saturday over at David Booth Cancer Memorial Stadium. And then we've had a lot of people step up, up over this past, call it 13 months, and we're so grateful for them. And I think that was, to me, a primary uh, message in the in the letter. Hopefully that came pretty loud and clear. And then without hesitation, John, the, the secondary message was let's be more. Let's ask for more of ourselves. And I think, you know, as a, as a KU guy, and I don't want to over-lean on this, um, I've – watch this thing before I got here just two and a half years ago, I know where we've been. And I know we have not warranted full houses at that stadium. And a lot of people could argue we don't we don't yet warrant full houses today. And I think there's a justification to be made for that. Um, and I think people uh, understandably want to see a, a, a continued proven trajectory and I get that and we, we we're still early in this thing Lance knows that as much as anybody I certainly know that I think the question is why should we settle and why should we maybe just do what other places have done in terms of well if and when x y and z occurs then this thing sells out regularly what my message in a lot of ways was to the Frankly, let's be honest about it, the tens of thousands of Jayhawks who we love, who are wonderful supporters, who have done things to move this place forward, usually in somehow, some way, the target audience is those who have said, I'm going to dabble, I'm going to check it out, I'm going to come when everything lines up, and I'm, I, I, I don't apologize for challenging um, that audience because I, I, we have to challenge ourselves across the board in this department, at this university. And I think our support base has to continue to do that. So um, I, I think 90-plus percent of the reaction was very favorable and understanding of the intent. And I just think it's an example. We're going to fight, scratch, claw to push this thing forward, period. So when you send the letter out, have you seen and you challenge people, have you seen the sales or have you seen any results from that? Yeah, I don't know if it's because of the letter. <laughs> it may, letter may have sent us backward, but I can tell you this, when we sent that communication a week ago, um, yeah, looking ahead to Central Florida and, and further out down the road when you, you know, especially when you look at Texas Tech and so on and so forth, we weren't, we weren't content, right? And so, you know, again, maybe the letter was a quasi-catalyst, but uh, within a day or two after that was sent out, we you know, the, the great marketing sales external folks in this department launched a $24 flash sale. You know, at that point, we're ranked 24th in the country, $24 flash sale. And just uh, between Friday and Saturday last week, we sold 2,000 tickets. 
And here we are, and I'll, uh, these are the numbers I have from last night, which was Tuesday night. We're at about 40,000 tickets out. Okay, which is which is good in a lot of ways. It's a little bit ahead or right there where we were with Illinois at that juncture that week going into the Illinois game, which ended up being a great crowd. Um, but the other thing that says is there's still north of probably 5,000 tickets available. And again, there's two ways to look at this thing. You could go, gosh, based on where we've been, 40,000 tickets? Incredible. And I, I can see that side. Part of me feels that way. The other part of me, though, looks at it and goes, why would we settle there? We should expect more. And I do expect more. I actually think it'll be potentially on the cusp of a sellout on, on Saturday with Central Florida in town. Um, and we'll celebrate that, and we'll thank the incredible people who stepped up to be part of it. Um, and then we'll go back to work to make sure we sell out the rest of the year and to make sure we, we raise the bar for this athletic department and this football program. You know, I was looking at Lance's over just some things I, I had in my notes, and you know, one thing that stood out to me was his buyout and his contract, if you weren't the athletic director, drops to like half, if I remember right. And I, I think that speaks of the relationship that you guys have. And I just, you know, hoping you could talk about just the daily communication and what your overall relationship with Lance is like. Yeah, no, I mean, we we developed a, a really good rapport and honest relationship from the search process because it was a pretty grueling extensive process by the time we got to offer in his hiring and announcement you know we we felt like we'd known each other for years versus maybe a a few weeks or a couple weeks Um, so I think it starts there because you want to have some great honesty and and rapport building through a search Um, and then it's been intensive every day really in a lot of ways it's been what is KU doing What 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 am I doing what's our administration doing to again fight and scratch and claw for Kansas football. And in order to do that, you have to have great connectivity and alignment with the head football coach. Doesn't mean you need to talk to him multiple times a day. We certainly don't do that. There are days we don't we don't talk because we're both working our rear ends off for our for our roles, right? But when we speak, we speak the same language. And when we speak about what we're trying to do here and the things that we need to do, nine Point five out of ten times, we're we're seeing it very very similarly, if not in if not um, um, exactly the same way. Um, it's also important though for those point five or whatever percentage it is to have a little bit of a, a of a debate. And I think that's one of the other elements of our relationship is we can we can debate and and we can see things differently, right? And or he can see things with a, a level of urgency in that moment that maybe I don't see in that particular moment and. Ultimately, we end up in the same places. What are we going to do to move this football program forward? And so I think uh, through the fire, you know, of just um, this two-plus years, two-and-a-half years together, through the building process, um, you could you could use that the contract as an example, but we are aligned. And Lance says it really well. He's, he says it unequivocally. This is the most alignment he's ever seen in his entire career with the chancellor, with Strong Hall, with campus, with the athletic director and with our administration. And I can tell you this, uh, that doesn't guarantee you anything, but the alternative will guarantee you something, and that, that alternative will guarantee you um, you're not going to reach your potential. You're not going to hit your ceiling without certainty. You gave us some big news in August about the Gateway Project. I know that generated a lot of excitement. Just talk about what's been going on lately with that and then what comes next. Yeah, Lots of great 
activity and energy. We've got a, a, a steering committee on campus uh, with the chancellor, with other leaders that are really partnered at a super high level. I'm just so proud of you know the pieces of this university community that are um, not just committed; they, they've taken ownership, and I think that's really important. It's not to just say, "Hey, we believe in it; we want to support it." It's to literally share ownership in the success of this project. That's KU Endowment. That's absolutely Chancellor Gerard, um, Stan Martin with KU Endowment. That's um, um, our CFO Jeff DeWitt up on campus. Um, our provost has been very supportive. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on and on. And then, of course, we have an incredible project team. People literally, by the moment, live and breathing, sleeping this thing, and they're doing exceptional work. We, uh, John, probably most notably about 10, 10 days ago, I think it's been, we uh, uh, received RFPs back on kind of the, the developer element of the project, kind of the mixed-use concept. And so this last week or so, uh, the team's really been sifting through um, those RFPs were really excited about them. Um, you've got kind of the, the, the food bev aspect to it. You have the operator aspect to it. Um, you have developers who have shown interest. And so what it shows us is that people believe in the viability of this project, which I think is um, um, something we always knew, but it shows up in a tangible way through that process. The other thing I'd say, John, is we're working hard on fundraising. You know, we've got a uh, by the day, I mean, if, if I'm spending more time on anything right now, it's probably on that end because, again, you talk about this idea of raising the bar and, quote-unquote, challenging our fan base and support base. That has to happen um, daily and, and, and regularly in the fundraising world. And, again, really proud of the way our, our supporters are stepping up, uh, but there's still work to do on that end. And then just in a matter of, what, a couple of months out, we're going to have some major demo going on over at that site. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, how do we do a watch party, a viewing party when we, when we frankly, in a lot of ways, celebrate this thing coming to the ground on the west and the north um, because that's indicative of another major, major step forward to this thing being a reality. You guys are going to have to set up one of those live cameras that everybody can get on 24 yeah. hours a day and watch yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll do it. You'll, we'll, we'll count on it. You know, Travis, uh, I know on our message board and, and with KU fans, a lot of people always talk about the, the ever-changing world of NIL. Just give us a breakdown on how, you know, NIL has impacted the college sports and where you think, you know, KU stands in NIL and how you compete against the people that you're trying to compete against. Yeah. I, uh, in so many ways, I'm, I'm really proud of the work we've done in, in the NIL space. You know, we're, we're kind of entering year three or down the road in year three, I guess you would say, in the realm of NIL. Year one uh, uh, or maybe year one and a half was was hard in a lot of ways. But the one thing we did with some discipline is we we were committed to building a foundation, right? How do we build um, something that has a chance to be sustainable, which is really hard, I think, in NIL because there's so much need for instant gratification and rushing to a particular outcome with dollars or, or whatever it might be. But I think we really built a great foundation to credit to so many people in this department um, in year one. And then I think going to, you know, coming off of year two, we've taken great steps. You know, I think um, the opportunities provided our student athletes um, in a lot of ways would stack up to anything in the country. And I'm not talking again about dollars. I'm talking about just opportunities to engage in it, opportunities to be educated, opportunities to grow in terms of how to build and, and maximize your personal brand. And I think our resources for that are exceptional. Um, I think we've done a pretty good job of getting the word out to fans and supporters and donors on what is it and what isn't it. I know there's still work to do there so people can understand how they might 
get involved. Um, and then I think the outcomes are, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, bearing bearing some fruit, which just means to me viability and sustainability for our programs. It means that student athletes at Kansas can work toward a, a great degree. They can have all the off-field experiences you could ever hope for, career planning, internships, uh, student-athlete development, all the support that comes with it. Um, they can compete at the highest level in their sport right here at KU with great athletic training and strength and conditioning and uh, coaching and mentorship. And then now you add another fourth or a fifth rung to that. They can do all those things, and they can they can earn deserved financial outcomes through name, image, and likeness. So I think at KU we can check every one of those boxes. Um, it is a work in progress. We're constantly man, uh, you know, keeping an eye on what's going on sort of nationally in that space. Is there going to be federal intervention? Is there not? And then just as of, I think, last night, the NCAA has moved forward through the D1 Council some new um, guidelines and uh, requirements around NIL. And, and I think those are those are healthy, and I think in large part they'll be the right thing moving forward. You know, I wanted to wrap up with this. You know, I look back in the last year, and I, I look through sports here that have been in the top 25 and men's basketball, football, volleyball. I'm pretty sure women's golf has men's track. I know women's basketball won the NIT. You know, I, and I know there's a lot of people who out there that listen to this. Their, their focus is on the basketballs and the footballs. But just to talk about the overall athletic department, just where the health yeah. is and this the success that maybe you've seen with a lot of the programs here. Yeah. You know, at the uh, at the risk of missing a particular program, because I could, I could sit here and talk to you about my excitement and optimism about every one of our programs and some great success stories. But I think one of the cool things that's occurred at KU is um, we've got a great mix of seasoned, long-term head coaches who've been here, who are super committed to KU, who've had great successes. And again, there's so many of them. You could talk Clark Campbell in swimming, swimming and diving. You could certainly talk Bill Self is in that um, time frame in terms of his tenure. Stanley Redwine in track and field. Uh, Ray Bouchard in, in volleyball. And there's, there's more uh, along that journey. And then we've got some more that I think are really starting to hit their stride. Maybe they've been here four, five, six years, and they're starting to hit their stride. And then we've, we complement that with, with the three newest additions, which is, which is Lance in football, um, Dan Fitzgerald in baseball, and Lindsey Cool in women's golf. And all three of those journeys are, look a little bit different. You know, what does a coach who's been here for 20-plus years need to do to change with the times around college athletics, right? Um, great success stories taking place there. Um, what does a coach need to do who's maybe at the midpoint of their, of their journey and you throw COVID in there, and it was a pause, frankly, during uh, uh, it stifled a lot of energy and momentum. So what are those coaches doing? And then, of course, with the new ones, what kind of successes are they doing with breeding um, um, new energy and um, developing vision and, and so on and so forth? And, again, where do you start? I, I could look at men's track and field. I mean, I love where that program has shown itself over the last – six, nine, 12 months and, and the, the track they're on, uh, no pun intended. I, I, I could tell you, um, you know, that uh, uh, softball really showed some good signs this past spring and has had a good fall so far. I'm excited about that. I think there's a lot of energy around where softball can be at KU. Um, and then I could talk about Lindsey Cool and women's golf, where frankly, we were usually ranked in like the 80s nationally uh, historically of, of the, the 21st century she's got us in the top 20 
going into just early parts of year three, and I, <laughs> that's an underrated success story. Um, football's well documented, of course. And then, um, you know, we're going to start the season, preseason one, in that men's basketball program. We shouldn't take that for granted. And women's hoops, I think, has got its most talented, experienced group it's had in an awful, awful long time. And they're going to build upon that WNIT championship. So thanks for acknowledging that, John, because there really are so many success stories. It's a reflection of healthy culture. I think it's a reflection of, of great resources being provided. I think it's a reflection of our coaches maximizing that, that incredible brand um, called the University of Kansas and the Jayhawk. Uh, and I think more than anything, it's a testament to so many great people, coaches, support staff, and the ways they're pushing and, and raising the bar for expectations here. That is Travis Goff, the U- athletic director at the University of Kansas. With great stuff for all of our listeners out there. Travis, I really appreciate you uh, sitting down with us and being on the podcast. Thank you, John. Appreciate you, man. Rock chalk. It's really interesting, John, to hear that there was a bump in ticket sales after Travis's email. I know you posted an article on Sunday morning where you said you were 100% behind what Goff had to say, and I'm right there with you. Yeah, Randy, I just – listen, I, I've done this for a long time. I mean, you you played football at KU back in a day where, you know, there's probably 30,000 in the stands. and Maybe. We, right. I mean, we've we've seen – the lean years of Kansas football, but we've also seen some good years too. Mm -hmm. So I just think that the time is now that you've got Lance Leipold who's showing that this program is now on solid ground. Like last year wasn't a one-year wonder, okay? This is now he's showing that something has been built and something looks sustainable right now. Travis Goff, uh, uh, Doug Gerard, the people at KU, the administration – They've come out now, already got the locker rooms done, the strength and conditioning center done. They've got hundreds of millions of dollars that's going to get funneled into the stadium and have this renovation, the gateway project. And I just think that, you know, Travis Goff is saying to everyone out there, and and I said this on our message board, our audience that a lot of times that we talk to is the hardcore football fan. It's the person yes. who, right, it's the person who's on board with KU football. So I, I always look, sometimes I've got to look at our site and kind of put it off to the side and understand those are the hardcore people. Those are the guys that want to talk KU football. They want to follow recruiting. They want to, you know, they want to get involved with, with day-to-day following KU football. I think Travis Goff is saying, okay, we have great fans. There is a number of them but we need that fan that may be back, and I use this example, and, I, and because I know people like this, they had season tickets in the Mangino years, okay? And mm-hmm. then KU football started to hit that decline. And then people started finding out other ways to do with their time and their money, okay? And then, then there were people who went to school during some of the lean years after Mangino left and just never got into football because the football was never consistent. You, they, they never won. It was something that people didn't get behind. So if you were a student at KU eight years ago, 10 years ago, and now all of a sudden you're starting to see good football, he's looking for the, for the, the people who are kind of sitting on the edge, maybe thinking about, 
do I want season tickets? Or boy, it's been fun following this team. Those are the people he's trying to reach out to saying, listen, we're doing everything we can on our end to make this a quality product and and we need you in the stadium and we need your support. So I, I really felt that, you know, that that the letter, I had no problem. Matter of fact, I was behind it the whole way. You know, maybe I'm not the best guy to ask because of what I do and follow KU football hourly. And, and the people on our site, you know, are, you know, I, I know there were a few people that were like, hey, you know, bad timing on this i saw a couple comments yeah yeah but i saw that stuff too but but you know what randy listen (laughs) when's the right time okay that's what i was gonna say when is it when should we schedule it i mean do we want to make sure it's convenient for people come on yeah i mean and and the the, there's an argument that people will say hey you know ku football's been so bad it's hard to get people back no that that deal's over that that excuse is tired it's over. I mean, Kansas went to a bowl game last year. I mean, by all accounts, it looks like they're, you know, on pace to get back to one this year. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and at some point you start going, hey, what happened in the past? We're it's living the in, past. We're living in the future now. <laughs> get on board. So, hey, I had no problem with the letter, and, and I was definitely a, a proponent of what he said. Kirby – you know, I, I don't want to bring up a negative topic. Do we do we really want to delve into the Texas game that much? <laughs> well, you know, Randy, yeah, a- absolutely. It's not too much, maybe, but you, you, for a while there, and I posted a couple times on Twitter because I'm I'm keeping track of the stats live as they happen. Okay, and in the third quarter, there, I want to say there's five minutes to go, maybe, and I mean Texas has like. 250 more yards than KU at this point. Total yards. But KU's got the ball down one score. I mean, yep. they could go down and score and take the lead. And and I'm sitting here going, is Lance Leipold like some wizard or some magi- magician here? Because, <laughs> because I don't know that I have ever watched a football game and seen a team that, you know, in the stat column, that far down and sitting there in the game. So listen, Randy, when when the season started and we went down the schedule, every uh-huh. KU fan went down the schedule, and you do your little WL, WL, you circle whatever, everybody circled the game in Austin as the hardest game on the schedule. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right. I don't know that many people would have put their money on Kansas winning straight up there. Okay, it's a hard place to play. They're really good. Jalen Daniels, thirty minutes before the game, they tell Jason Bean he's starting, and I I still think that's a factor. I, that's a factor for the whole team because when you go in and say, "Hey guys, Bean's starting," sure they have confidence in Bean. Look back at last year. Okay, remember the TCU game? See, people have short memories. Mm-hmm. That TCU game. KU's got three points at halftime, all right? They put Jason Bean in. Jalen Daniels couldn't move the team. They put Jason Bean in. He goes in, throws for 250 yards and four touchdowns. The following week, he goes down to Norman, and they score, I want to say, like 42 points, okay? Yep. Then they had a couple other road games where Bean led them to, you know, 24 and 28 points, and then he was the quarterback when they – qualified for the bowl game, beating Oklahoma State. So my point is, 
is Jason Bean Jalen Daniels? No. Is he capable? Yes. Has he shown mm-hmm. he can play? Yes. So I just think the hot weather, they were on the field, that fourth down, I just, everything finally snowballed on them and Texas just took over and, and the Jayhawks, I think the heat got them and being on the field and they couldn't get off the field. But hey, the bottom line is they competed. I went back and watched the game. Let me tell you, until they finally wore down in the fourth quarter, they were hitting Texas. I mean, they were they were playing physical football. So, you know, that game's passed them. Time to move on. And like I said, that's the hardest game on the schedule that we were all pointing to before the season. No question. I mean, that I you know, I said it in my you know, when we were write our our staff predictions. Steve Sarkeesian took the Texas Longhorns into Tuscaloosa, Alabama and took down a Nick Saban coached Crimson Tide squad. Now, we at least to this point in the season, they don't look like a a Bama vintage squad like we're used to seeing from Saban. But he went into Tuscaloosa and they beat Bama and they have put themselves squarely in the college football playoff picture. KU went into their house and stayed with them for nearly three full quarters. And and we're still in that game and competitive into the fourth. There's that. If I would have told you that in February, Kirby, would you have taken it? Yeah, I would have taken it. Um, you know, again, you would have liked to seen what happens, you know, if, if Jalen Daniels can play, can, can he move the sticks? Can he give the defense some rest? Can, you know, can he choose some clock? which is, I think, what ended up taking them down. But, yeah, I mean, listen, hey, if you would have told me that, you know, the circumstances that were going to hit and then late in the third quarter, okay, you would have the ball with a chance to take the lead, I'd have told you I'd have probably signed up for that. Oh, no doubt. No doubt about it. UCF comes to town on Saturday as we put the Texas game behind us in, in an interesting Big 12 matchup. To preview the game... With the Knights, John spoke with Brandon Helwig from UCF Sports. The Jayhawks are getting ready for their second Big 12 home game against Central Florida, and I am going to be joined by Brandon Helwig, who runs the UFC UCF Sports on the Rivals.com network. Brandon and I have been in the network for 20 years together. Brandon, how you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great. Uh, it's just it's been a blast this season. Just you know, obviously with UCF's first year in the Big 12, just kind of getting familiar with all these, you know, fan bases and teams and sites. And so I've had a lot of fun with that. You know, UCF opened up a couple of weeks ago, uh, I guess, across the state a little bit at Kansas State and, you know, hosted Baylor last week. So this will be a UCF's, I guess, third Big 12 game coming up against Kansas. Well, I know you said you're going to make the trip to Lawrence. I had to start a post on our message board and encourage everybody there to give suggestions where you need to hit up. I don't, I don't know that they're all going to be PG rated, but... Yeah, I, I was able to. Uh, I've been to Kansas State before. UCF played them in 2010, but this time, uh, on the drive over from Kansas City a couple weeks ago, I kind of made a quick detour and just kind of drove a little bit through, you know, Kansas. You know, saw the stadium, the campus, and kind of turned right back around and went on my way to Manhattan. So I got a little bit of lay of the land, knowing I was going to be there a couple weeks later. But uh, definitely have not seen everything Lawrence has to offer quite yet. We'll look forward to uh, catching up with you in the press box. I want to get started. You know, I watched Malzahn's press conference, and it sounds like we, both you and I have teams with questions at the quarterback. So I know we're, we're recording this podcast a day early, 
before it releases. But just give me your take on the quarterback situation right now. Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, we're talking about quarterback situations. Both UCF and Kansas are going through them, but everyone, every team that UCF has played in the Big Twelve, there's been some uncertainty and question about this the quarterback a couple weeks ago you know will howard the starter at k-state there was a question of whether he was going to play after getting banged up at missouri and then last week with baylor was blake shape and was he going to return to action or not because he was you know recovering off off of a knee straight and now john rice Plumley, ucf starting quarterback is going through some stuff he got hurt i think the next to last play of the game um second week of the season at boise state uh ucf was driving for you know the go-ahead score uh, he got hit kind of going towards the sideline. It was one of those plays where you're thinking it was, you know, was possibly targeting. So I'm watching the the replay and kind of looking to see what happened in his head and shoulder area. I didn't realize in real time that his leg and his knee kind of went in the awkward position that it shouldn't have. So I wasn't even aware that he was, you know, more hurt than that. So it was one of those things that, you know, after the game, you see him on crutches and, and limping around. Well, UCF has never come out and said, you know exactly where his injury is but it's pretty clear it's a, it's a knee issue but it wasn't you know a serious enough it wasn't like a season ending ACL type thing I think it's a similar injury to what Blake Shapin had at Baylor most likely a, a knee strain with one of those ligaments but right now I if you would have asked me this a week or two ago and I know you were texting me and asking you know is is John Rice going to play against Kansas I would have said I highly doubt it just because UCF has another they have a bye week after this game then they go on the road to Oklahoma it just kind of seemed just based on the timeline of what we initially heard it seemed like it might be a little too soon however uh we learned uh after the Baylor game on Saturday uh Gus Malzahn said that John Rice was actually cleared the day before um you know that just means clear that doesn't mean he's been in practice or anything so he he was obviously still going to be out for Baylor but he was going to go through practice this week and they were going to make a decision, you know, middle to latter to later part of this week, whether he would give it a go. So there is a chance that he plays. I haven't heard anything one way or another. I think, you know, this day and age with gamesmanship and whatnot, I, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure if UCF would promote that in advance if they knew if he was or he wasn't. Just, you know, kind of the way it goes these days to make uh, make defenses prepare for both quarterbacks. Uh, but I, I will say it does sound like there is at least a decent chance that he does see the field on on Saturday. On offense, I mean, they're third in the nation in rushing. I mean, just break down their offensive style and what's made them effective in the run game. Yeah, you know, uh, it's one of those things that uh, you know you look at stats and and you know I, you know, it's still a little bit early to kind of yeah, UCF did kind of pad those numbers with some early games. You know, they had you know Kent State. You know, early in the year, they had you know FCS Villanova. You know, they're still putting up a lot of yards. It's kind of putting, you know, not turning the ball over and and you know scoring when they get into the red zone has been kind of an issue here the last couple of weeks and then this Big 12 play. But but uh, running back wise, you know, RJ Harvey, the offense, you know, the running offense basically goes through him. Uh, he's been UCF's uh, you know number one option at running back. He'll you know. Uh, too much to the chagrin of some UCF fans someday who will he will you know run some plays out of the Wildcat. I know that was a bit of a, a controversial uh, thing this past weekend because uh, he was taking a direct snap uh, from the Wildcat position and he fumbled the snap. That was just I I'm, I'm not sure how many uh, Kansas fans kind of followed the conclusion of that uh, UCF Baylor game, but it was just one of those games where UCF was just dominating the for the entire you know for really the first three quarters. It was a 35 to 10 game going into the fourth quarter. And just everything that could have gone wrong 
did in that fourth quarter. Uh, UCF was stalled. They had, you know, it was, like I said, that direct snap to RJ that he fumbled. Baylor guy picks it up, you know, runs it all the way for a touchdown. Just, you know, just everything went haywire. UCF ended up losing that game on a last minute uh, field goal. And it kind of, (laughs) you know, so it's kind of an interesting situation. But everything goes through RJ Harvey. He's, he's, uh, he's been their top option. They also have Johnny Richardson. Uh, the backup running back, he's might be more of the, you know, at least this season, he's been more of the explosive running back. Uh, UCF's um, first play from scrimmage uh, this past week against Baylor, you know, it was a, a carry by Johnny Richard. He took it 79 yards to the house for a touchdown. And, uh, you know, we will be sure we'll see a lot of him this Saturday against Kansas. So it's kind of the one two punch. Now, when you talk about, you know, running attack and rushing, that's what John Rice Plumley, you know, the quarterback, if he does play, he brings that to the table as well. He's more of a running threat than the backup Timmy McLean has been. So that those are sort of the, the three main guys, assuming John Rice is going to play on Saturday. All right. Moving over the defensive side, I know in these first couple Big 12 games, UCF has given up some points. Just talk about their scheme and who are some of the players to watch. Yeah, uh, that's the defense has been a little bit uh, of a question mark. Uh, like I said, you know, sometimes these stats you get early in the season, the competition is questionable. UCF's defense looked pretty good or decent at least when, you know, but the first three games were, you know, Kent State, Boise State, and Villanova. And, you know, I, I think maybe – you know, with Boise State, there is you know, a little bit of hype that, oh, they're going to be preseason favorites and win the Mountain West. But this is not the Boise State of old. This is Boise has kind of taken a step back these last couple of years. So uh, they were absolutely shredded uh, by Kansas State on, on the ground. Uh, get as a running back at K-State. I think it was the Doak Walker National Player of the Week. Rushed for over 200 yards and four touchdowns. So that was a big point of, of emphasis uh, for UCF going into the Baylor game, you know, they did a pretty good job uh, corralling Baylor, um, obviously, through the first three quarters. I think a lot of it um, was Blake shape and was a little rusty because um, he hadn't played in, you know, a month or however long it had been or almost a month. Um, but, you know, obviously he got going a, a little bit. And one of the issues with UCF's defense um, this past week against Baylor is that there were a lot of, of score. There was a lot of offensive scores. Like I said, there was a Johnny Richardson that came on one, one play UCF themselves had a strip fumble return for a touchdown, just a, a lot of quick scores. And so the defense was on the field a really long time, particularly in that first half. And so there are some depth issues defensively. Uh, I probably should have said there, uh, UCF has a first year defensive coordinator in Addison Williams. He was, he has been part of the staff under Gus Malls on the last couple of years. He had been uh, a secondary coach. You know, now he's a defensive coordinator. In addition to that, um, you know, it just one of those things that we're kind of waiting to see, you know, just how good or bad is this UCF defense? You know, they were just could not, they were completely gassed. There's depth issues. Linebacker position is, Probably the biggest weakness when you look at everything, biggest strength, I would say, would still be defensive line, although they're, they're kind of dealing with some injury issues and some guys not, you know, 100 percent there. Um, but, yeah, they, they couldn't stop Baylor at all when it mattered in the fourth quarter this past Saturday. Uh, you know, the, the defensive coordinator obviously took, took some of the blame for that, said it was on him. He, you know, with some bad calls, he said he maybe kind of put the defense in support positions, should have had some better calls on maybe when there was some second and long situations so it didn't get to third and short. So, you know, we're just kind of wondering uh, what defense we're going to see, you know, and I think if you're UCF right now, you'd much 
Um, <laughs> no, no disrespect intended. I think they'd much, uh, they're maybe hoping Jalen Daniels is, is back. Maybe is, uh, is, uh, hurting for another week because, uh, that that'll be a pretty tough test on Saturday. You know, I wanted to ask you this, Joe, just watching Malzahn and blowing that 35 to seven lead and starting Oh, and two, I'm sure there was a lot of hype around that. You know, the first home game at central Florida. What do you think their mindset is as they head back on the road now? Uh, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, that's, that's a great question. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to, you know, it's always dramatic to use the word, you know, must win game or, or what have you, but you know, this is an early, this is a tough early portion of the big 12 schedule for, for UCF. And obviously, I mean, it hasn't been, you know, UCF doesn't have their starting quarterback, you know, there's been some, some stuff that, you know, UCF hasn't been playing at, at, at full strength. So, you know, they felt like they were in it in the Kansas state game. Uh, they took the lead early in the third quarter. It was still a one-score game in the fourth quarter. Uh, like I said, they just couldn't stop Kansas. They could never get off the field at all, whether it was just, you know, yes, it was methodically moving down the field, whether it was penalties, and that was a big issue against Kansas. They just could not stop them. But at the end of the day, you know, you could kind of spin it. Hey, this is, you know, K-State. They're the defending Big 12 champs. Uh, you go on the road first time playing with the backup quarterback, you know, heck, you know, they were in it, you know, they, they, they competed just, you know, came, came up on the short end. Baylor is just one of those things that is, is not as, as acceptable of a loss, I guess, as K-State was just because how you dominated the game. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to be leading 35 to 10 in the fourth quarter and lose the game. And yet everything that could have gone wrong did, I mean, give Baylor credit. They made plays and they didn't give up. I mean, I remember at one point they going, they're going for a field goal. I guess that's when they went, when it went from 35 to seven to 35 to 10, I think they kicked that uh, late in the middle or late of the, the third quarter. And I kind of snicker to myself. I'm like, you know, that's really going to help. You know, like you're down 35 to seven. I mean, I always thought it was four down territory to, to a degree and kind of snickered in sure. the back of my mind. And uh, I mean, that was obviously the smart play. We saw what happened, but you know, for UCF, I, I think on, on the low end of what they wanted to get out of this inaugural year in the big 12, I think they wanted to, you know, have finished with a winning record and, and make a bowl game. Uh, so this is um, this is an important game because, you know, if you lose this one, you know, you're 0 three, you go into a bye week and then a week after that, you got to go go on the road to Oklahoma, which, you know, we'll we'll see how things shake, shake out, you know, Red River. Well, they don't call the shootout what they call it, the Red River rivalry. We'll see how the, but, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, I think arguably are, you know, two of the top teams right now are, you know could be the favorites to be the in the big 12 championship so you got to go to oklahoma so i mean you could be looking at oh and four in the league uh if you don't win this one so um this is this is a really important game for ucf just to kind of you know, get the stink off of, of what happened against baylor but it's not going to be easy i mean obviously kansas was off to a really hot start obviously you know the quarterback is a, is a situation for for you guys as well but it's a really important game for for ucf just before we started this, I, I saw the line was two and a half in this game. You know, just give me your breakdown on this one. How do you see the matchup and maybe if you have a prediction or how it might play out? Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's <laughs> these predictions. Uh, I uh, I think a lot of it depends on on health, right? I mean, is, is John Rice Plumley coming back for UCF? If he does, what does he look like? You know, it, it, like I said, he's he's a big running threat. So you know, is that knee? I mean, I, it's hard to see him being, you know, quote unquote, a hundred percent, you know, but how good is he if that knee is, you know, 75% or what have you? 
um, is Jalen Daniels starting for Kansas. I think that's maybe even a, a bigger issue in terms of, of how you see this game playing out. Uh, if if John Rice is is not 100 percent and Jalen Daniels does play for 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 Kansas, I think that's going to be a really tough proposition for UCF, especially with the way the defense has played um, the last couple weeks. Um, you know, they're going to have to you know show me something that maybe they haven't you know so far the first two games to show that they can contain a an an offense like that. Uh, you know, score predictions. Uh, it's 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 tough. Um, you know, I haven't really thought that far ahead to, to put something down de- definitively, but it's just one of those things that, you know, John Rice needs to come out and, and look like show the improvement that everyone was anticipating he was going to make this year. Cause you know, he, he hasn't really, you know, he, he transferred in from Ole Miss prior to last season. That was in this past season was really his first full season as a starting quarterback. So even though he's older in age, He's not he doesn't really have the experience that comes along with it. So this offseason was going to be a big year for him to take the next step forward. And just he had a limited sample size. You know, you said played Kent State. You know, that was kind of a laugher opponent. And then at, at Boise, John Rice played reasonably well. There was some miscues from receivers. That game should have been, you know, you said should have won by two or three touchdowns in that game. But, you know, there were some circumstances that did not allow that to happen. None of which were really John Rice Plumley's fault. Uh, but we're really, I, I, we're anxious to see how John Rice, when he's healthy, how he fares against the Big 12 defense. We really obviously don't know that yet. Um, but I, if if he's not 100 percent and Jalen Daniels is back, I, I think uh, Kansas has every right to be favored in this game. That is Brandon Helwig from <laughs> UCF Sports, guys, and he does a great job with his site. And Brandon, I really appreciate you jumping on, and I hope you have a great trip to Lawrence. All right, man. All right, John. Thanks for having me. That was Brandon Helwig with a solid breakdown on Central Florida. John, let's get into this thing. What do you think about this game coming up on Saturday afternoon, and what's your prediction? Yeah, Randy, I I think this has the making of an exciting football game. I really do. I, I've watched Central Florida a couple times. I've gone back and watched some other clips and highlights of what they've done. You know, they're, they're in a fragile state right now. I, I really believe that because – you know they they go lose at Kansas State and, and this is a this is a program that's used to winning so then they blow a 35 to 7 lead against Baylor in their first opening ever Big 12 game at home UCF is they've struggled to stop the run i know Kansas State just lined up and just started pounding them especially in the second half you got question marks for both teams at quarterback because everybody's talking about John Rice Plumey their starting quarterback will he play or won't he I mean it's you got two teams that are a little bit you know maybe going to go with the backup so the thing I like about this week Randy is and I asked Andy Kotelnicki this today and he pretty much he kind of gave me the quick answer I thought a little bit to kind of get out of the question but (laughs) which I which I totally respect but I asked him about what do you do with the offense? Do you call, is your play sheet the same with Daniels and Bean? And he kind of said it was, but deep down, I've kind of got to think it's different. Okay, of course. I, I think you draw up different things with Bean than you do with Daniels because I still think, although the offense can work the same with the motions and the sets and the things that they do, I think Daniels can bring some things to the table that I don't think Bean can. 
So, listen, Randy, they were moving the football. I mean, in the second quarter against Texas, they were averaging like 10.3 yards a rush. They had a little of that option game going to the outside. So, you know, I think that Kansas can move the football on the ground. I think the KU defense can get enough stops. Listen, Central Florida is going to come in here ready to play because they are on this fine borderline right now. They lose to KU. Just like Brandon said, they're 0-3 in the Big 12. Their next game's Oklahoma, okay? Well, money tells you that's going to be a tough one. So they could be looking at 0-4 in the conference. And I mean, Central Florida's never been 0-4 in their conference play. So Central Florida can move the football, and they are explosive. They have some good athletes. I've watched them. They're third in the nation in rushing offense. This game is going to be a challenge. Now, Central Florida's banged up a little bit on the defense with injuries. Kansas has been good at home. And, man, we got to mention, Nick Reed and Tony Sands are getting inducted in the ring of honor. So they're yes. coming back. Glenn Mason and Mark Mangina are coming back. Lance Leipold said on Hawk Talk they're going to address the team on Friday. So I just like... I like the KU running backs. I like the ground game. I think Central Florida's banged up. Central Florida's searching for confidence right now. I'm going to go with the Jayhawks in a fun game at home. KU 38, UCF 30. Give me yours. <laughs> oh, John. The trend continues. Kansas 38, UCF 28. <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, I'm 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 with you though. I think this is going to be a tremendously entertaining football game. I think there are going to be a lot of points scored, and and like you, the thing that I look at when I see this UCF team, any team coming out of the state of Florida is going to be absolutely loaded with speed at the skill positions, and they're going to have some guys on the defensive line with some size that can move. I think it's it's a good test for KU. Um, I mean, it as you mentioned. It took everything Baylor had to avoid getting blown out and somehow come from behind to win that game late in the fourth. I think, I mean, it's it's going to take a good effort by the Jayhawks, but I'm I'm with you. I think with with Nick Reed and Tony Sands and 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 Glenn Mason and Mark Mangino back and and a good crowd on a nice fall Saturday afternoon. I think. I mean, I think this is going to be a, a great a great day for for Kansas football fans, and a and and the booth's going to be rocking come Saturday. Well, John, we've previewed the matchup with another home game. We've got recruiting visitors coming in on Saturday. Give us the scoop on on who you're expecting and and some of the latest developments coming in for Lance Leipold's squad from the recruiting trail. Yeah, Randy, I think this game will probably be of. Of the remaining home games, it'll probably be the lightest list of visitors we've had. I think there's going to be some guys there. I think there's going to be a lot of guys who are like local, preferred walk-on targets, some good football players. Um, And I will update some of this more on Friday. But in terms of the headliners, the one I I do feel confident that will be back again is Andrew Babalola. So... I mean, oh, he, yeah, he, Valley Northwest. Yeah, hey, man, he's making his trips to Lawrence. I can tell you this: that the, the coaches at Kansas will welcome him anytime he wants to come on campus. So, um, 
their possibility. I'm waiting on confirmation. Braylon and Miles Singleton from Culver City, California. Uh, they both have an offer. They could be there. But right now, it looks like several guys, and maybe some 2026 guys, but some recruits who are going to be possible PWO guys down the road. And then keep an eye out because I think two games coming up for sure are going to be nuts. Kansas State and Oklahoma when it comes to recruiting. I've heard they've had so many requests from recruits to come. They've had to shut the list down. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, because they can only have so many recruits there. And I think they also want to make sure as that time gets closer that they can have some of their, you know, bigger name guys that if they decide to come later, the tickets are open for them. And also, we've talked a lot about Tuesday nights and it, it, that's a big night that the coaches really focus on recruiting. I heard on Tuesday night they spoke to over 35 recruits on Tuesday night. So they're getting their work in, and I do expect them, I expect some coaches to be out on the road Friday night since they're playing a home game out to some high school football games. So I'll be tracking that as well. That's awesome. That that, those Tuesday night recruiting telethons, it sounds like the things are really starting to pay dividends. And I mean, who would have who would have thought we'd be talking about, yeah, okay, you may have to shut the list down for a home game because they're up against the limit for how many recruits can be there. That's that's fantastic. That is the final word, and you are now primed and ready for the Jayhawks Saturday matchup with the University of Central Florida. We talked about last week against Texas. We brought in a special guest with Kansas Athletic Director Travis Goff. We heard from Brandon Heldwig from the UCF site on the Rivals Network. We talked recruiting. We previewed the matchup. You are primed and ready. For my man, John Kirby, I'm Randy Withers. You've been listening to the Inside Slant podcast from JayhawkSlant.com. We will talk with you again soon. This has been a podcast from JayhawkSlant.com.